Hey you, and welcome back to the Rhizocast. The Rhizocast is a production of Rhizo Magazine. Rhizo is short for rhizomorphic, meaning the interconnected strands of root-like growth that supports the thriving of biodiversity. An aggregate of interconnection and reciprocal support, a collaborative community uplifting art and the gift of human expression. We're a magazine subscriptions. We ship four magazines a year. We accept open global submissions and we have a global reader base. Rhizo Magazine's intention is sharing inspiring work, realizations, writing, poetry, practices, art, photography, environmental justice perspectives, rituals, recipes, astrology, spirituality, and our own work as a collaborative community of support, sharing beauty as well as the deep process of being human without labels and beyond binaries. I'm Sue Hunt, the host of the Rhizocast, and you can find my work at suehunt.com. And you can subscribe to Rhizo at rhizomagazine.com. Thank you for sitting with us on this journey beyond binaries and traversing human consciousness. Welcome back to the Rhizocast. All right, winter solstice today, and we have a guest on the podcast. Nicole Nardoni, but I figured I would just touch on Solstice Astro to start us off. So December 21, we've got the sun moving into Capricorn in the Solstice window. We also have a Capricorn stellium to kick off this Capricorn season. And obviously winter solstice is a sacred ceremonial day for many religions and spiritual traditions. It is the shortest day of the year, really representing rest, rejuvenation, regeneration, and hibernation. So those are also some of the themes in the winter solstice rhizo. And particular Capricorn stellium, right? Capricorn discipline, gravitas, legacy, money, work ethic, groundedness. It's kind of like the grandfather energy of the zodiac. And the stellium on the solstice is in Pluto, Midheaven, Mercury, and Venus. So there's a lot of reevaluating how you put your work in the world reevaluating how you share your voice in the world. And with the Pluto cap, there's an intense call to just quit your own bullshit, call yourself out on it, and repattern around it in a way that's more fluid to your self-identity. That's really what the stellium is asking us to do in this solstice window. And then another aspect I thought was super interesting is Sun square Jupiter in the solstice window. And we have Jupiter in Aries at zero degrees. And then obviously we have Sun moving into Cap with the Cap stellium and then the closure of the winter solstice. So there might be a little like just aggravation under the surface because this portal is really asking for rest and rejuvenation. But with the Aries and the Cap energy, especially with the square and Jupiter, 
there's kind of a like, I should be doing, or why didn't I finish that? Or, uh, like, I don't feel so tired. I'm just going to like complete that. And then it kind of runs us into the ground or like this hamster wheel energy in terms of work expansion. And it's okay to feel frustration and anxiety in the square space. In, in all honesty, the square sort of brings up that destructive emotional knife's edge within us. And then we can decide how to respond to that spiritual knife's edge of destructive emotion. Try not to get caught in the misaligned hustle, though, with all of this Capricorn energy. You can really use it to vision. There doesn't have to be too much action at this time, especially since winter solstice is asking us to rest. So not too much like misaligned hustle, but really feeling like, does this align with my heart? Does this align with my sustainable needs? And I don't have to make a decision just yet. Really... As the new year flips, we can use Capricorn as the chariot to make that decision. For now, we really don't need to, especially we still have Mars retrograde in Gemini. Okay, anything else jumping out for Solstice Astrology? Venus square Chiron, so deep healing in relationship. And don't expect this to be graceful, like the square with Chiron and cap can be very heavy. So, you know, I would say try to lay low with family karma during the holiday season. And if you really need to assert your voice, go ahead. But please don't expect it to be graceful and easy to cope with. But that's okay. I mean, actually, Nicole and I were just talking about this last night that sometimes transformation feels very groundless. And it can feel very intense. And that's really what Venus square Capricorn inside the solstice window is bringing to the surface for many of us. Okay, great. So my conversation with Nicole was amazing. I'm glad to be on the back on the Rhizocast wagon. We'll try to do one a week for 2023 and bring all different diverse voices into the space. So a little bit about Nicole Nardoni. She currently resides in Taos, and she's been a facilitator of alchemical embodiment for 13 years and a student for nearly 30. Her work is rooted in ancient wisdom, curated as relevant for the modern human. She's interested in the intersections of sexuality, kundalini, creative consciousness, and the wild places of earth. Her toolkit includes kundalini and tantric practices, as well as earth-based and archetypal ritual. She offers online classes, in-person retreats, and deep dives into one-on-one -on -one work. Okay, so it was really fun for me to chat with Nicole. We're really sort of equals in the professional space and colleagues in certain ways. And it's really beautiful to have a friend that can traverse all those landscapes with you, emotional and spiritual. So we barely prepared for the podcast. We just sat down together and a few little bullet points and decided to just riff on it. So I hope you enjoy this comprehensive conversation between myself and Nicole about all things kundalini, sexuality, creativity, and really practical points on how to create cellular embodiment for yourself in those spaces.
Okay, enjoy the Rizocast. So we met like a couple weeks ago, really. Yeah, cool. Um, through yoga, kundalini, and five rhythms, actually. And it's been awesome to just get to know her. So what do you think about kundalini? You know? So what do you think <laughs> about kundalini? <laughs> so I know it's like kind of an uncomfortable place. This are all the allegations against Yogi Bhajan, like how mm-hmm. we both refound footing mm-hmm. and what that did to your personal practice and maybe the lineage in general or any teachers you've had and then how you still find um, authenticity and transformation, which has kept me around for a while in the kundalini space. Um, how has that uh, shifted for you? I love it. We're just diving in. Beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing kundalini yoga for 20 years, maybe. Um, so it's been a long journey. I started when I was like in college and it's just been a constant in my life for so long. Um, and I, I've never been one to pedestal a person so much. So I never quite could stomach a lot of the Yogi Bhajan sort of dogma and stuff. So, um, but I definitely was like very into the community and very into teaching and sharing the tools because they were so deeply transformative for my own life. And, um, but yeah, since, you know, and even before the allegations and all this information came out, I kind of knew kind of felt it coming, you know, all the gurus are falling and I think it's great. Um, and so I'd already started kind of doing my own thing and weaving other things together. Um, but it has, yeah, it's just been a tricky, tumultuous kind of ocean to traverse lately. Um, but I just come back to this works. Like these practices Mm -hmm. just they work like humans are fallible like when we put them on pedestals and and idolize the the place where they come from then then we're going to run into trouble but for me the the practice it's always been about the community aspects and the practice itself so that's where I've really kind of found my ground again is just in my own personal relationship with myself I mean this is a practice that gives me myself more than maybe anything else has like on a consistent basis so mm-hmm. yeah I have a lot more I could say about it but I'll start there yeah no I mean I think that's wise I'd love to just talk a little bit about how to not pedestal a teacher when Mm. everyone around you is and maybe like how challenging or outcast ish that can look (sighs) when you're going through those phases. Mm. It's been similar for me as well, where, you know, it's not like, you know, leave the person, take the teachings. I've definitely stayed with teachers Mm. for 10 plus years at a time, but then there's a moment when I'm like, Hmm, okay. Like, I need a new vision. This this one held me for eight years and it's not going to hold the next eight. So this is a big transition moment for me. Um, and I've definitely felt really comfortable doing that as a student. But I think it is this like taproot of this is weird. This mm. is fucked up. <laughs> this is like mm. like predatory. This is uncomfortable. This is like, because I said so, bad parenting kind of stuff. Mm. So, like, what sort of tipped you off early on when you got into Kundalini? Because it was obviously 20 years ago. So anytime I talk to someone who's been in the yoga community for 20 plus years, like, (laughs) it is so crazy different. Do you remember the days when it was like, Mm. no yoga pants, 
You know what I mean? Mm. Like people show like I wore my umbros to class, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and like nobody cared. So it's so different now in the uh, like social zeitgeist of the yoga world. Mm. But what were a few things where you were like, hmm, the power balance is off here. Like I'm Mm. not into fully accepting like this person at guru status. Mm. Yeah, I I mean, I didn't grow up with much of a religion around, like a structured religion around me. So I never really was indoctrinated into that, I don't think. So I think I had that on my side. But one of the biggest things is just how my body feels around mm-hmm. someone mm-hmm. <laughs> or when I'm listening to their voice or, you know, ingesting what they're saying in some way. I just like the body is just such an immediate antenna for truth not truth or for me what's true and untrue you know the same thing might really resonate with someone else and that's beautiful um but yeah I remember early on just sitting uh, like a perfect little yogi in my eating you know at the solstice Mm -hmm. eating like the super spicy foods under the hot sun of the solstice and like hurting my body just hurt it was like this isn't right. Like there's something off here. Um, and then just a lot of the like teachings around sexuality, um, mm. because I had, I've always had a very deep relationship with my own body and, um, really early on, even before I found Kundalini was interested, was doing like Hatha yoga and stretching and different things that really got me into my body in really some really authentic and beautiful ways. And when I started hearing some of the teachings, for example, around sexuality that Kundalini kind of spouts, I just remember feeling contracted, like super contracted um, and, and thinking, okay, something's off here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. I think the, I just want to say like maybe misappropriation sort of into our Western culture of different yogic ideas like pushed up against Judeo-Christian society, just like totally castrates, <laughs> <laughs> purposely using that word, like the depth of sexuality inside the like traditional yogic canon absolutely yeah i mean we we, like you have to think about where and when these traditions developed like when you're taking them in because uh, repeat that (laughs) (laughs) i mean okay so yogi bhajan was teaching like in the 60s and 70s when everyone was sex drugs rock and roll sleeping you know and Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's a cultural movement that was necessary and like there was some excess there so and also where, you know, he came from, you know, the kind of structures of cult- societal and cultural structures that he came from. Like, okay, there there might be some necessity of some discernment and things. But, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's mm-hmm. important to take that into context, I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, a full disclosure, as much as I don't want to say this in the public space, I'm going to anyways, you know, like early on in my yogic path, I was definitely like obsessed with asceticism. And like that sort of moved into the addiction space and eating disorder space. And it's really hasn't been until the last like 15 years of my practice that I've tried to like bring more of an appreciation back to my body and not seen some of the like misappropriation of the yoga canon, like Pratyahara, like removing the senses, like what? 
then I'm not involved in life, Mm. you know, and like really rewriting some of those things for myself. Mm. And I, you know, kind of are also social zeitgeist in the yoga world. I think one of the reasons that I like really liked some of the things you were putting out in public in particular was about um, perpetual maidenhood, Mm. which seems to be like the push for the yoga woman, you know, Mm. to be in that space of I do yoga. (laughs) (laughs) I'm flexible. Yeah, and like the, you know, tight midriff. Who wears that shit? It's not comfortable when you're doing (laughs) (laughs) pranayama. But like that is like the push, you know, to like be in that sort of like perpetual maidenhood. And I'd love to just take the sexuality conversation and Mm -hmm. maybe have it mature through that lens of like kind of just dare I use the word sick it is mm, that we see mm. that so much impressed on women's bodies in the yoga space mm-hmm. and it, yeah I this is a major um something that's very alive for me right now because I do I, I feel it is sick it's a sickness and and it's especially sick because it's in a space that is supposed to be you know self-helpy mm. healing space where people are going to escape quote unquote, or sort of try to break away from cultural patterning, societal patterning that's harmful. And then it's just in a different coat. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, and I see, I mean, that was one of the things about the yoga world that really um, disturbed me early on is this like, it, it was sort of, um, what's the word? like yeah castrated (laughs) perfect (laughs) it's like removed from sexuality um and and I think it is time to mature I mean a lot of the yoga um the yogic sort of people that are kind of put on pedestals these days are men um or at least they're in this sort of umbrella of the patriarchy so we're just sort of regurgitating these ideas over and over again Mm mm-hmm Yeah. And then in terms of like the pressure to be in perpetual maidenhood, like I'd love to just define that and sort of Mm -hmm. what does that actually look like, like in our flesh, in our posture, in like the clothes we choose or the teachings that we share and the Mm -hmm. pressure to like just be this like frolicky hippie girl, (laughs) you know, that's like young and 20 and like so much time in her life to da 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 da. Yeah, I mean, I think it looks like yeah. You, I mean, you you outlined the archetype, and it's these this obsession with with youthfulness, with um, you know, doing the same practices. Like I think of Ashtanga yoga as like mm-hmm. being developed mm-hmm. for you know teenage boy bodies, and a lot of people trying to sort of morph and fit into that to be acceptable. Um, but I see, I mean, I see um the maturing as, um, you know, maybe leaning into. Uh, meditative practices, the more kind of subtle realms, um, taking the practice off of the mat <laughs> like, mm-hmm. and into the rest of our lives. Um, and yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then what's like the link that we could maybe just riff on between, you know, I, I, I deal with this a lot in sort of my one-on-one space of like, over expectations, always launching creative projects, Mm. like thinking that we have like just this massive well of energy to always be 
launching, promoting, selling, teaching, creating, coming mm. up with new ideas. And I think there's a mm. link there to the sort of addiction with maidenhood. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, okay, I've been practicing yoga probably since I was 16-ish. So I guess it's over 20 years now. And I've fallen off my practice for years at a time. There have been so many, like, there have been moments where I do yoga twice a day. There have been moments where I haven't rolled out my yoga mat for like six months or longer. Like, and I think that that is necessary, mm -hmm. you know, and I remember I taught, I've taught yoga for 15 years or 13 years, something like that. And I remember, you know, I have so many students coming to me with so much shame around like, oh, I, I fell off my practice. I'm like, okay, great. That's welcome to the club. <laughs> like, welcome to yoga. And so I think there's like a lot of, um, beauty and being able to move through the cycles. I mean, I think that is maturation, right? Like not needing to produce, not needing to be creative, not needing to be sexual or be super lit up about your practice. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what yoga is about is being with yourself through the fluctuations, right? Like not losing sort of that, that kind of connection um to yourself mm, and so i can be the grumpy old crone who says <laughs> fuck this shit yeah <laughs> hell yes <laughs> i think so yeah no i think that's such a valuable statement of actually stepping away from your practice and seeing what occurs mm. you know it might be a conscious choice or it might be an unconscious choice but then you really get to reevaluate your self-identity in that space where you don't really have like the like costume to be like I do yoga every morning at this time and like here's mm -hmm. what I do and this is my sadhana and mm -hmm. you know there's a lot of um growth in your own self-understanding of how to like re actually regulate creativity absolutely I mean I did you know through this kundalini um sort of the fallen guru situation I had stepped away from kundalini and had started to even before that and have just only recently in the last year or so kind of started to come back to it in my own practice and it's been such a beautiful experience it's like and I'm coming to it with a different lens, right? I'm coming to it kind of fuller. Mm. And there's just such a magic in being able to come back. It's like meeting an old friend again and going, oh, wow, yeah, I still really love you. <laughs> I still really, and there's still so much depth here. So I think if we continue on that track, you know, like just thinking we've got to push and make it happen and, and discipline and all, you know, mm -hmm. it, it kind of robs us of the very natural human fluctuations and sort of the spirals and the cycles that our, our lives have to go through. Mm, yeah. Mm. No. And I, I think that like the idea of discipline and how clean and like shapely and productive <sighs> it looks in our society is like kind of what gets sold to us in the commercial yoga space. Like this mm. is the way or the only way. Mm. And like, it just seems like so ridiculous to me, you know, I'm like, don't show me another fucking morning routine reel. <laughs> like, because some days I'm going to lay in bed for two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to meditate until 4 p.m. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. And to sort of actually like challenge that like shiny discipline, like that everyone sees as like productive, essentially. Mm. Um, in transitory nature and in sister body deck, I talk a lot about the difference between productivity and creativity and sort of how our society mutes creativity mm. into productivity. Mm. And 
you know, I would love to hear your opinion, maybe just on perpetual maidenhood and the addiction to productivity. And if you see a link there. Oh my God, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as someone who is naturally extremely creative um, and, and tap, like I love connecting to my sexual energy, you know, that power, there's so much power and juiciness there. And in that it, creativity, if we, if we just look at nature, I mean, winter's here. Mm-hmm. death comes and it's not dead right like all the energy of the trees goes down into the roots and they're what it is like the roots are riotous you know like there's still so much life happening under the surface but it's like if we don't let that outer death come true creativity cannot be born i mean this is in like the the taoist traditions like this idea of false yang that's mm. essentially what our entire world runs adrenal on. fatigue yes exactly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it just it starves us of the actual real like fulfilling like the the kind of creations that our soul is here for you know mm-hmm. um it's like we kind of have to like forget that we're creative sometimes to remember again what wants to be born through us no I think that's such a good point you know sometimes I'm just like volume not down Mm. on all ideas Mm. because there's no soil to root it's just like you know it's been slashed and burned Mm. from the last whatever occurred you know in six three like six months three months eight months 12 months Mm. whatever it may be and I think it's like so helpful to look at the long game Mm. as opposed to like oh this is a six-week period and then I'll rest for a week or whatever Mm. it may be you know, is there any like life examples where you, well, I think it's great that you just gave that example of stepping away from Kundalini for Mm. maybe a year or two. Is there any other examples in creative projects where you're like, I'm not going to force this. I'm going to put it down. Like the fertility isn't there. Mm. Obviously the idea is good, but it just isn't actually sprouting. So I'm going to rest. Mm, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this the reason this is so alive for me is because I'm definitely living it. I mean, I'm 39 now, and about three years ago, I had a really strong kind of, I, I'll, lack of a better word, I'll use the word download, this like vision kind of come in of this m- huge creative project, which could last a decade or I don't know, it could be, you know, a big chunk of my life that I want to devote. Like it just felt so worthy of like my full devotion. Mm. And and the structures in my life at the time weren't really set up to devote energy to it. Like a death was necessary and I've spent the last three years in that death and so kind of embracing this this crone like this um this wise one who's emerging and it's been super uncomfortable Mm -hmm. um because I spent over 10 years building building something um that from all outer perspectives was fantastic um, really beautiful, really aligned, honestly. And then one day it wasn't. It was like it slowly started to <laughs> not But feel... you knew that. The rest of the world didn't. You just yeah, had that feeling. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. And I could feel in that. It was like I had built a community and all this really beautiful work. And, and there was a momentum behind it. And it's similar to that, like, productivity, this, like, make it and create and stay in the flow and whatever. Mm-hmm. And and it, it had taken on a life of its own that I no longer felt connected to. Um, and I think some of that was just I was done with the that 
part of my work. And then some of it, I think, was sort of this collective whatever hamster wheel situation we have. Um, mm-hmm. Like expectations from people yeah. around you to stay in yeah, that role. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's just been a lot of death around that. And, and, and it's been awful in so many ways and like so supremely liberating Mm. Um, and it's created a lot of spaciousness to create what is true now Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah actually just yesterday so it would have been seven years ago six and a half years ago Mm. like I was in a very similar process where everything was just disintegrating underneath me and like I needed out. I didn't want to be in that role anymore. And so I just, as gracefully or ungracefully as I could, exited. And um, I was like very unprofessional with someone because they were asking me to be in that role that I wanted to leave. And mm-hmm. I had said yes, that I would do it. And then I canceled on them last second, which is really sort of against my integral code and like my spiritual values to myself. If I want to do it or not, mm-hmm. I put my prana in the world already. Okay, go catch it, baby girl, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I actually sent her a DM. So this was six years ago. I sent her a DM yesterday morning apologizing for my unprofessional behavior of how scattered I was and how that was just a really tricky time in my life where nothing was fitting and I handled it so poorly. I said Mm -hmm. I just handled it so poorly because I just needed to get out of that role, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But then I also had to drop the fucking ball. Mm. (laughs) Well, I think that this, I'm going to use like Marion Woodman's words, like addiction to perfection, Mm, mm -hmm. like this idea that you, and I think some of being in a public space, being some kind of public figure, like there is an expectation that you're just going to be perfect and you're going to handle every situation perfectly, which is unrealistic and unreasonable, I Mm -hmm. think. So good for you for dropping the ball. (laughs) (laughs) I think I just like brought up the example to say like, it's just going to be so messy. Do you know what I mean? And then like the apology was graciously received because Mm. I think the other woman on the other side had probably had an experience in her life too when it was like, uh, okay, you know, I'm out of here. I'm not, I'm not doing this, you know? in her own way. So I think that there's just like more space there, if that makes sense, to actually like leave the maidenhood productivity Mm. like archetype behind. Like you don't, you don't have to keep all the balls in the air, Yeah, you know? And yes, it did take me six years to like apologize, Mm. but she, I didn't really need to, but I just felt for my own sanity, if that makes sense, Mm. you know, like Mm. to acknowledge that time and like how much time has passed and like a different phase is occurring, mm. you know? Mm. So I think that also just like speaks to the cycles and the maturation that you were speaking to in terms of like cycles and sustainability. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Letting the balls drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think as you age too, or, or, you know, move out of the maidenhood space, you know, there's this idea of, yeah, needing to keep all the plates spinning. And and in your youth, you know, there is a lot more energy, frankly. Like, you can make more mistakes. You can wrongly place your prana in one direction or another for a while mm-hmm. and still have plenty. And then I think that one of the gifts, and I guess I'm not, I can't speak from, like, a major crone space. I'm only 39. But, um, but I do think as, you know, you become more aware of your energy being so precious 
it becomes so important to really be mindful about the projects that are worthy of it. You know, the ones that are like deep in alignment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a gift. Mm. Maybe we could like just some embodiment touch points of how you know Mm. that's the case for your precious prana to be put in that basket. Mm. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'm going to go back to this. This is, I think this is a really personal thing for, you know, everyone's going to have a different come from, but for me, when something really lights me up, I like, I feel it in my belly. I feel it in my guts. I feel it like I've, I've worked on certain creative projects before and felt super orgasmic, like full body orgasmic, like energy moving through, like while I'm sitting there writing, you know, mm-hmm. and that's for me how I know if it's not, it could look real good on paper. You know, there's this person I should collaborate with this opportunity. I definitely should jump on. And there's just, I'm like, dried up not it's not nothing's moving you know that mm-hmm. i know that's like a big indicator for me if something's worthy of my energy because mm. that means it's going to give me more energy like there's more more prana there too mm-hmm. definitely mm. what about you yeah um i think mine's like kind of funny but i like i'm like a pretty actually reserved shy person so it's a lot of effort for me to be social so I don't really think about the drive there I, th- I try to think about what I'll feel like on the drive home mm. if that makes sense because <laughs> I know I'm going to be nervous no matter what mm. on the way there but if on the way home I'm like you know mm. listening to music and the windows are down and like I'm like kind of recapping everything that went on and like it felt so fluid and I felt reciprocity, then I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely going to do that. I love that. Mm. Mm. Hmm. Should we touch like maybe like authentic sexuality tied to creativity or anything else? Hmm. Yeah, we can go there. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. I'll go I'll come from non-binary space and you Beautiful. come from your space. Yeah. Cool. You go first. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so authentic sexuality tied to creativity. Mm. Yeah. I think I mean and from my lens, obviously I come from this kundalini lens and Um, So it's the same current in my eyes in many ways. Like when we're connected to our true authentic sexuality, like creativity just flows. Um, We're, we're, you know, when we're connected to our bodies, when when we're kind of listening to our bodies, we're not, you know, kind of repeating these sort of cultural narratives about what our bodies should be feeling or how they should look or what shapes they should be in or what our morning practice should be like, et cetera. Mm-hmm. You know, same with sex. Like if we're, you know, really truly honoring our desire and our pleasure not what we think it should look like you know there's just so much more freedom there um and when and we're not really we're not really taught 
how to do this, right? We have like these very kind of narrow ideas about what what those things look like and how they should happen. And and so I think the, the body for me is always such a strong indicator and it just doesn't lie. And so connecting to that in the physical, it's just, it's like it, creative energy can't help but like seep out of your pores and your hands and your mouth. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's a yeah. kind of vague connection I see there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I actually feel super similarly. I think that, you know, like sensuality, I had to also get really involved in my other senses. So I found creativity over time, like when I changed my microclimate, when I changed my diet, when I changed like the oils I'm using, you know, like I had much more of a conscious curated relationship to all of my senses as opposed to maybe like 18, 19, 20, when I was just sort of like breaking out of societal structure and figuring out like what I wanted to be from more like a top-down way mm. or like just sort of our educational system, like from a top-down way. And then eventually, you know, like really sort of had to challenge some of the like heteropatriarchal understanding of sexuality so that I could actually explore sexuality. Mm. <laughs> And the doorway in for me was first like sensuality, like food, you mm. know, especially as past eating disorder, like that is such a powerful link for me to understand creativity and sex energy and sexuality just by engaging in that sense alone. Um, so I think that there's just like I kind of have this personal rubric in my life, which is like money, sex, power. And if those things are all like all those gates are open, they're fluid, they're resourced, they're abundant, they're like elevated, then I know that there's like a cleanliness happening almost. And then creativity is like, boom, 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 boom. Like the structure is there. That's something else I want to double back on because I, you said, okay, I had to like build a structure to hold this new creative project. Mm. That I think is like, I'm obsessed with meta structures. I think they're like, <laughs> like I'm always sort of like legoing my life from above, if that makes sense, mm. you know? Um, and I just don't think we talk about that enough in the public space. Like we always see the final product, mm. but we don't actually see like, okay, I don't have a meta structure to hold this creativity. So how did you receive that information and then put it into action? Oof. Yeah, this is good. Um, well, so for me, uh, structure starts on like the very basic self-care levels. Like I need to be sleeping super well. I need to be super hydrated. I need to be eating really good food. I need to be in a land that nourishes me like with beauty and the climate and, you know, all these things. Like I needed to be in an environment just on those basic human levels that felt nourishing to my creativity. Um, and then just like day-to-day things like you know I'm talking like when I started my you know my most of my business was in Minneapolis and I love Minneapolis it's my home it's where I'm from and it doesn't nourish me like on these deep levels um you know and so I started kind of slowly extracting myself from that um and then also just time-wise, you know, like creating spaciousness in my schedule uh, for mm, for so creative work, you know, and and honestly, like I'm a I'm very much like a 
I just like to stare out the window for a couple hours, like do nothing for a, a while, you know, that I think is really where juicy stuff comes out of. Um, and then a lot of just like internal structures, frankly, you know, like um, the the sort of bucking the this idea of constant productivity, this I, these expectations that were placed on me that I agreed to by, you know, family and community and whoever, um, by myself. Um, and so those needed to be kind of dismantled. Um, and also just beliefs about what was possible for me too. Um, you know, kind of elevating and expanding, um, my sort of vision about what I can do. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it was like about sort of stepping away from certain things that were sucking prana so that you could actually slowly move those chess pieces to put some of those ideas into action. Yeah, totally. And I mean, speaking to like the yoga kind of structure, you know, I mean, in the yoga tradition I'm from, it's like, yeah, Andrei, no sex, no drugs, no what rock and roll, you know, it's like very kind of pure. And so part of it was just like, experimenting like dipping back into some spaces that I was in in my youth with like um with relationships with plant medicines with you know just kind of letting go of these structures that I had held so tightly and then some of them are have disintegrated completely because they aren't true anymore and some of them have come back and they're yeah so it's definitely some of that happening mm-hmm yeah, I just think that's a really important self-exploration where you have these two tracks of inquiry running side by side, which is like, I want to express my creativity in this way, but do I actually have the structure in place to hold the amount of energy that it would take to birth that? Mm. And I just don't think we ask that enough, mm. you know, mm -hmm. and then, you know, I see a lot in my one-on-one -on -one space where there, it becomes self-frustration or, you know, I didn't get it right. Or like, mm. no one wants that offering or like, oh, this must not be like a valuable thing, you know, mm. as opposed to actually really looking if the meta structure can hold it. And sometimes like we're speaking very esoterically, you know, mm. but sometimes it's like, do I have the time? Mm. Do I have the resources? Do I have the emotional support, which is number one for me? Mm. I don't really need my partner's ideas <laughs> 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 or his opinion, but I certainly need the emotional support, mm. you know? So, I mean, it, it's obviously personal, but like if he's going through a really big project, then it's not my time to be going through a really big project mm. because I wouldn't be able to get that emotional support, you know? So I think you really want to look at like your number one needs almost. And if they could get met during this entire creative process, I guess that takes time to sort as well though. I love that. I love that. I mean, this feels like very fitting with this like all this Capricorn, these planets, <laughs> and just knowing that you have some some planets in Capricorn and that ability to really zero in on because creativity can get so out there and kind of amorphous almost. And so, yeah, to have mindfulness about the container, I mean, that's really beautiful. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think you used the word earlier, and I've been using it a lot in my own personal meta dialogue, which is devoted. Mm. Right. So it's kind of like if you don't have the structure to hold the devotion, like it just kind of it's like sand through the fingers. Mm. And that's like all the prana just like that you want to take shape in a certain creative project can't take a shape. Mm. <laughs> you know, so it feels like devotion in a very deep way of like seeing both those things and like really nurturing both those things, the project and the structure to hold it. Yeah, I love that. Mm. yeah should we touch on anything else you have any other thoughts or feelings i mean i think we're riffing on it pretty good so far yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i'm i'm really interested i know this is a bit like off topic of where we've been but i've i've been interested in your work with rizo the magazine the podcast and just that idea of um, the rhizomal networks, like, and, and I'm curious about like the relationship between the internal and the external, like, you know, like they feed each other. Do they feed each other? Mm -hmm. How, what's your experience been of that? Like doing these podcasts, you know, having the magazine, like how does that inform your personal Mm -hmm. creativity? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good question, you know, because it, it is a lot of like public facing service, essentially, you know, to put those volumes together um, between my sister and I, and then just communicating with all the contributors and the production loop and then the actual, you know, getting the magazine in the reader's hand. Um, I think the reason that I wanted to start Rizo, I pitched it to my sister, I think at the end of uh, 2021 was I wanted to be less beholden to social media as a solopreneur because I feel like it's such a salesy space. This is the Mm. honest truth. Mm. And I really missed writing for the sake of writing and not having it be in a brand, in a content, 24-hour content reel, in... um, you know, even writing my book was very structured. You know, there was big creative moments, but those really happen at the beginning of the process. They don't really happen at the end of the process. At the end, it's all top-down editing. Mm -hmm. And so I really missed just, like, who cares if it's good writing? Like, the time, the effort, the love that it took to actually sit down Mm -hmm. and create that. And I don't need a bunch of hearts underneath it to tell me if it's good (laughs) or bad. (laughs) And I learned so much in the publishing space of just how snooty it can be. Mm. And like you have to have a platform and you have to have this public voice. And there's all this pressure and expectation Mm. that as a solopreneur and a creative that you can also manage all of these business things to even get looked at. And your Mm. writing might be incredible, but if those other things don't stack up, sometimes it doesn't get looked at. And so I just felt a little like disheartened after the book process. Like, wait, where are all the other creatives that are, because my sister and I have been creating together our whole lives, like Mm. just for fun. You know what I mean? Like before social media, like who cares where this gets put? You know what Mm. I mean? It's a scrapbook. It's a stack of photos on your desk. It's a bunch of notebooks stacked up. You know what I mean? And I just knew there's other people out there doing that, Mm. you know, Mm. because I think that, um, 
creativity also gets misunderstood that it has to produce, which I like have to turn the tap off on mine, if that makes sense. Mm. Like I, it doesn't always have to be making shit. You know mm. what I mean? Like I'm always writing. I'm always thinking of like, I'm always editing sentences in my head when I'm walking my dog. Mm. And I was like, and I know my sister is always photographing in her mind or looking at light and like reading her light meter in her mind when it's not in her mm. hand, you know? Mm. So I'm like, there's got to be other people in the world that just have stacks of <laughs> notebooks <laughs> that like do that for pleasure, mm. you know, and want to see their work in print because it is so just freaking magical to like actually see it on a page or you know see your high res glossy photo printed on a full page spread like mm. that's orgasmic for me mm. <laughs> <laughs> like oh my god oh my god look at it look at it look at it <laughs> <laughs> so i like that was kind of the seed between the two of us of why we wanted to start rizo and we knew we needed help. You know, we knew we needed other people's voices. And, you know, I, I would love to hear your opinion on this because I know you've been teaching for so long, but sometimes I have a hard time only platforming my voice. I'm mm. trying to work on it. <laughs> <laughs> but Rizo was like more of a community effort and I wanted it to have like more of a, like lots of voices from all over the globe. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I fully resonate with that um I'm like I'm a very shy person by nature like my mother constantly got asked if I was like mute as a child because <laughs> I never spoke but um but have over the years gotten more comfortable with speaking because you kind of have to if you're going to teach and um but over the past this is like part of this like restructuring of my work that I'm interested in is like and that's why I'm, I'm curious about this kind of rhizomal mycelial network because we feed each other. Mm -hmm. You know, even just like witnessing someone else's creative process feeds me. Like you said, you know, I love this distinction between like creativity and productivity, like not the same thing at all. Like creativity, art for the sake of art, like the process of the making of the thing, even if it never ends is is the art like there's just so mm -hmm. much beauty in that and um and I think like I notice I know when I read Rizo and like go through the pages like I'm inspired like it sparks different things in me and like in my in my kind of electrical brain you know I think that's so delicious um I think there's just so much ripeness there so I love that that's I'm super inspired by by what you're doing with that oh nice yeah uh -huh. oh, I love getting that feedback about reading it you know I think that like my sister and I are just like okay you know we're gonna pick these submissions like it's really organic because we've worked together for so long where like we can work separate and just pass it back and forth mm. and then boom it's oh, like being it. shipped you know, and wow. then we're actually like looking through it, which is super cool. I mean, obviously I get to see like the full mock-up and stuff and like spacing and text and mm -hmm. font and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But I think the one of the reasons I wanted to call it Rizo, I think, well, one, it's kind of like low-key, like, you know, if you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like just like uh, Amanitas on the cover, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and also like I think that that's so – like rich for the idea of creativity if that makes sense mm. like I mean I've had so many inspirations in my life and it's usually people that are not in 
the Buddhism mm. author yogic space. Like I really go outside of that space. Like I just bought mm. a book of um, abstract painters in the 60s, women, because mm. I just wanted to like see what they were doing, what they were wearing, what their brushes mm. looked like, what their work looked like. You know, and like I'm probably never going to be an abstract painter, but I can pretend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think like like that feels very rhizomorphic to me. You know, like yeah. transcending boundary and moving between all different mediums and just getting inspired by other people's work that isn't like I hate the word competition, but isn't a direct competitor of yours, isn't in your space, isn't trying to say what you're trying to say. And then you can actually actually hear what they're trying to say. Yeah. And in a totally different language too, right? Like, and having that different language offers like a totally different perspective. Like maybe you're looking at the same thing, you're looking at the same landscape of the culture, whatever it is, but you've got totally different language around it. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Okay, well, this has been super fun. Yeah. You know, we just actually were just sitting side by side because I couldn't <laughs> quite get the tech right today. But I love that. We're not looking at each other. We're just like back and forth in the mic mm. and really just like, I don't know, sort of like finishing the other sentence. Mm. So I think that this is an organic stopping point. Mm. Yeah, yeah, feels like it. Okay, cool. Well, thank you, Nicole. Mm. I really appreciate just really like your wisdom and your willingness to be real in your own body and be wise in your own body. Because mm. sometimes those can be tough to hold at the same time, <laughs> you know, so I really appreciate that. Mm, thank you. Thank you for having me on and uh, letting me be part of your, your Rhizo network. It's an honor and super, super nourishing and, and happy to contribute. Yeah. Bye. Bye.